Welcome to the Autism Mommies Potty Talk Podcast. I'm Michelle B. Rogers, Autism Mom and Life Coach. I help parents of children with autism who are pre-verbal to start communicating and potty train, guaranteed. Hey everybody, so um, I hope you liked the first episode. This is our second episode, super exciting for me. I've never done anything like this before, so uh, it's a hoot. Um, I guess I thought I would give you a little bit more background as to who I was. Um, the first, um, episode was more about me answering questions from parents. Uh, I'm going to do that once a month, which I think is exciting. And it actually was a great intro because I told you more about our story. So, um, I guess I, you know, somebody asked me yesterday, I thought this was so interesting. They're like, you know, how did you get into, uh, coaching parents with autism? I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> or, or it wasn't that it was more like, why, why would you choose this? And I was like, wow, why would I choose this? It's a very good question. And I think I had told her something along the lines like, you know, when we got diagnosed, this just kind of rocked our world and I wasn't expecting, you know, none of us sign up for this, obviously. None of us think that we're going to be parents of children with autism. We all think we're just going to have healthy babies and we're going to have this neurotypical experience. And um, when she was diagnosed, I went through many a storm of, you know, why me's, uh, the, you know, does she really have it? I was kind of like in denial. I was asking unqualified people if they really thought she had it. Um, these were all, I guess, my, uh, examples of, of kind of being in that grief, uh, process, which I think every parent who has a a child and then has that child diagnosed with autism goes through. Um, but I think once I actually started to get to work on things, I assumed everyone was like me. Now, don't get me wrong. I had my moments with this where I felt defeated. I felt like my life was over. I felt like her life was over. I didn't know what was going to happen to us. But then eventually, and I think this is a part of my nature, and I'm not sure why, but it just is. Eventually, even in my darkest hours, I at some point get out of the cave and I lick my wounds and then I say, okay, let's, you know, make... (laughs) Let's make some sandwiches with this shit. Let's make some shit from the shit sandwiches or whatever. You know what I mean? So I went out and I started doing all the things um, and making a lot of mistakes. And I assumed that all parents did that. And I think when this mom asked me, like, you know, why I chose to do this. And I said, geez, I never really thought about it. it was more subconscious in the sense like I thought everyone was like me and I thought everybody would go out and and take take some lumps and 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 keep going and I think I think we all start that way and then what I think ends up happening now that I'm a coach and I've worked with so many families I think what ends up happening is they 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 start that way they take a couple of these hits and then all of a sudden they um you know take some blows and then they kind of Next time they get up, they're not as strong as they were when they first first started this, and then they get hit again, and then they get back up, and now they're, like, wobbly, and, you know, eventually they stop trying. And I'm not saying this is for all parents, it's just for the majority that I saw, this was my experience of what, I, what I'd see with them, and I was so shocked, because... I guess up until that point, my life has never been like a picnic. And um, when I was a kid, it was never easy. Uh, when I was a adult, it was never easy. I made lots of mistakes. I've been through a lot of painful things. 
And I always knew that I had to get up because I was my own savior. There was nobody coming for me. And maybe those experiences, even as painful as they, as they were, really prepared me for being a mother of a child with autism because I had to take a lot of no's. I had to take a lot of doors slammed in my face. I had to take a lot of, um, try a lot of things with her that didn't work. And if I, every time those things didn't work and I had quit, gosh, you know, I don't even know where she would be today. I definitely don't think she'd be the kid she is today. And I never really thought about that. So it was just such a good question from a mom just kind of asking me, you know, why coach parents of children with autism? And I just like, I just want to help them. I want them to do what I did for my girl. And, and it's not just about tactical. The more we talk and the more you listen to me, the more you're going to realize that I don't believe that tactical alone can do anything for a child. Nowhere near anyway. Um, the impact of, of changing what we think does. And that was another thing that was completely subconscious to me in the sense of like, wow, you know, I was doing all the things, but I was really, I had real, really strong thoughts about potential outcomes for her. And I was excited about seeing if we could, you know, make them come to life. And um, I think that was another thing. I didn't realize that at first, um, that that was a ma- that's probably the major thing that holds most parents back um, with children with autism. And I didn't think that, I wasn't even thinking that consciously at first. I just thought they weren't doing all the things. And they weren't doing all the things because they felt like it wasn't going to be possible for their kids. So um, that is why I guess I got into this. So um, if you didn't listen to the first episode, just to give you a quick snapshot of my daughter, she is nine years old now when she was two years old. Actually, before she was even a year old, she was obsessed with Dora the Explorer. Her first word at about nine or ten months, I was so proud because what child has a first word at nine or ten months, was Map because Map was like a big character on Dora the Explorer so I have video of her saying map you know so um her first uh word was map and uh I was so impressed and then mommy and daddy came or mama dada and then all of a sudden like it felt like at 12 or 13 months like the storm cloud just (laughs) crawled up over her and she became like this total like asshole toddler she was pissed off at everything I felt like she was like angry all the time I'm like what the heck is wrong with her I'm like and I remember saying this to my mom like oh you know what happened to my happy baby you know and and then um you know things started to get progressively worse she started twisting toys in her hands not actually playing with them all of a sudden she started drooling excessively hand flapping it was kind of crazy and then she was diagnosed on the spectrum uh one month after her second birthday and uh by that point she had kind of lost all the words that she had it sound, I, you know, I, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I think she was gaining new words, but she was losing the old words. I think she was just making sounds, and I was just assuming they were words in my denial because I had a, a heavy, a heavy dose of the, uh, the uh, denial phase of um, my grief journey, and um, then eventually um, we decided that we were going to teach her sign language, and when we did that, she signed in less than ten days. She had ten signs. It was crazy. And then um, she was very fluent in that. And it was amazing. That was my first thing. Like when I have aha moments in my program, um, 80% of them start with potty training. Parents really believe that their kids on the spectrum can't potty train. And when we show them that they can, it's almost like, oh my gosh, if they can do this, what else can they do? But for me, my aha moment for for my little girl came from um, her learning sign language. I was floored that she used it. She used it so well and fluently and she used it for everything that she needed and the crying stopped almost instantly at the same time. And it was just really fascinating. And that was really like, 
for me, like the proof or the momentum start for us, like, oh my gosh, I mean, like she's a baby and she's learning sign language and what else could she learn? And uh, that's kind of what helped us hit the ground running from a tactical standpoint. And um, little did I know, there's things going on in the background within me and probably within her that are starting to change our beliefs about everything. And I wanted to share today or start this podcast um, episode um, answering a question that I got because I thought it was so amazing. It was such a good question. And I hadn't really thought about answering something like this in a while. And I wish I had this insight back in the day because I might have got back with the program faster for her. But, oh, just to finish, Juliana is now uh, nine years old. She went from sign language to word approximations, um, making sounds, word approximations, being a repeater. I love repeaters, by the way. She also um, she also went um, and was doing vocal scripting. So instead of, like, making random noises for vocal stems, she was uh, scripting things she heard. Um, she, she was doing that. Uh, then she would just answer, you know, one word, answer questions with one words to where she is today. She's going to be entering the fourth grade and, uh, for the first time, not in an integrated class. Uh, she's going to be in a gen ed class with minimal supports, uh, come September. So she's come so far. I'm so proud of her. Okay, so I wanted to share this with you guys today, and this is going to be kind of the main focal point of the rest of our conversation, and um, it was this question that somebody um, submitted to me on social media yesterday, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a good question, and I wanted to share my thoughts on this with you in hopes that it helps you too, and she wrote, um, I have a confession. They say ignorance is bliss. I never felt bliss, but as long as I didn't know the types of things that Michelle is talking about that she did for her daughter, I was starting to feel encouraged by just the tiny improvements my grandson was making. Now I hear Michelle and see what she did, and I see that none of us in our tiny family have the energy, the strength mentally or physically or financially to do what she did and I feel more guilty and worse when I hear about all of this but with God's help I hope that we too see success I'm afraid to hope much just like every diet program that shows people who have lost hundreds of pounds tells you in small uh, letters results not typical I wonder if it's realistic to expect such results but rather than expect defeat or shoot for mediocre results I am encouraged at the same time, but what I see is possible and say, why not shoot for the stars? And I was just like, whoa, she like totally like slayed me with this question. I'm like, this was so fascinating the way that she thinks. First off, I just want to say, I did all of these things with Juliana. I mean, the real strong momentum came with sign language and teaching her how to, and then while she was signing, we taught her to potty train, so she was not verbal when she was potty trained, and she actually started speaking. I was living paycheck to paycheck. We didn't have a ton of money back then, and I was just uh, resourceful as fuck. <laughs> so again, and I, you know, I think I, I, and when we, and the only reason I knew, I assumed in this point, you're, you're in your bubble because at that point she was in early intervention. She was in a little preschool that had, like, I brought one, you know, an early intervention uh, um, therapist too. So I didn't have any exposure to what other parents of children of autism didn't think so I assumed that they were all like me and it was so fascinating because I, I didn't have money either you know what I mean and and when we were going through the, the throes of this like where she is with her grandson now I was just 
extremely resourceful. I found out what was available to us, and I just, you know, squeezed that berry for all the juice. So um, I wrote her a response, and this is what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. She's speaking on a couple of things here. One is that she's speaking about, like, you know, she's seeing tiny improvements, and before she heard my story, she would be super excited about tiny improvements. And I'm, I'm super excited about tiny improvements, too. Tiny improvements stacked actually make compiled make a, a, a major could be big improvements i don't shit on on tiny wins in fact i celebrated any win she got because i was so excited because she just blew my mind but like i would encourage anybody to to um explore uh, you know celebrate all the wins and um i would never though even back then i would never call them mediocre so that's like one of the first things that stood out for me that she was calling that me mediocre. The other thing that she said, which I thought was so fascinating, is that my progress. Um, she's um, <laughs> she's associating with um, a weight loss program, and she puts her own disclaimer on it that results not typical, and that was fascinating too because that's optional. You don't have to think that. You can think whatever you want on this. And that was so interesting that she's choosing to, I don't have a, a little disclaimer underneath my post, hey, results not typical. I don't do that shit because I believe that every child has the potential to get the success that Juliana has. And I, listen, I'm going to get a lot of fucking hate mail for this. I don't, I don't care because I, I, I love, love children and they're our most vulnerable population and they need to be raised and made to be these beautiful humans that we that we you know release into the earth to make our world a better place than we left it, and they are most vulnerable because they can be taken advantage of and they could be raised wrong and all of these things. And then you have the even most even more vulnerable population, which is our children with special needs, and they need even more support, more love, more guidance. And they certainly don't need anyone to give up on them or put the slap the results not typical on their potential experience. And I don't think she did this in a mean way. She 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 loves her baby, loves her grandbaby. It's this is one of the things that uh, is the heart of my group coaching program. So one of the things we talk about, we we talk about tactical, and boy, I throw tons of tactical at them based on my experience as a, as a parent of a child with autism, based on on um, uh, uh, the BCBAs. We have amazing BCBAs that are part of the program that show you good, loving, pairing ABA between therapist and, t and child, exactly what it's supposed to look like, which is play. The, you're going to have access to all of that in this program. But the idea here is that um, the heart of this program isn't all of that. The heart of this program is that we also have a mindset call. And that's to kind of talk about what's rolling around in our head. And for me, back in the day when I did this for Juliana and the, and, the, and the why, answering that why question from earlier, it's because when I got out into the world and I met other parents of children with autism, I was floored and humbled by the community. It was so fabulous how they just, you have a child with autism, I have a child with autism, we're blood. That's how, how strong that community feels like and I love that about that community. But one of the negatives I've seen with that community is that there's a lot of complacence, complacentness in the diagnosis, in the, there's automatic limitations it felt like with some parents where my kid's never going to be 
past this. I remember I remember going on a girl's trip with, with some moms and we were all in a hot tub. And I mean, our kids, most of our kids at that point were five and under. And some of them were talking about, you know, giving their house away to the state so that when they died one day, their kid would have a place to live. And I'm looking at my head like, where the fuck is, why are we even talking about it? Why is that even out in the universe? That's, that hadn't even crossed my mind. And I was just so floored. I had no idea that people thought this way. Our babies were so little even at that time, you know? And I was just like, oh my God, I haven't even thought anything like that, you know? And I, you know, this is where that comes from. And the sense of like, listen, you know, break down, like, what is the danger in hoping? And like, I guess like if I had to look back at my experience with Juliana and I had to say, shit, I, I, I hope, I always hoped I could help her. I always hoped I could make her strong for me. You know, ultimately I always hoped that there was a chance for her to live an independent life. When she got diagnosed, her future went black. Then when we started signing, I believe it or not, the future started to go dark gray. <laughs> and then when I saw her her, her, her uh, repeating, it started to get a little lighter gray. And then I saw her um, vocal scripting and I got me excited because I'm like, holy, she's make, saying full on sentences right now. They don't mean anything, but she's saying full on sentences. And it just started to change my trajectory. I always hoped. And this is so fascinating because I think a lot of people are scared to hope. But if you really pull back like the fear or the anxiety around being scared to hope, what's the worst that could happen? Is it worse than what you're living with now? The way I look at hope, if I hope for some outcome and it doesn't come, and we had plenty of those, don't get me wrong, we had plenty of times where I wanted something to happen when I wanted it to happen and it didn't. And uh, the worst that happens to me is I cry and I'm really disappointed. But you know what? And I'm really disappointed. Sometimes it could be for a day or a couple of days. And then eventually I snap the fuck out of it and I get right back to work. And I say, okay, what else can we do? Let's, let's keep going. And um, not everyone does that. And I, I don't understand. So what I wanted to share with you what I shared with her. And I hope this is helpful for everybody. And we'll just wrap on this because I just think... Um, I, I hope I'm not rambling. All right, here we go. So what I said to her is like, thank you for sharing this comment with me. I said, what is so beautiful about our brain and also so dangerous is our right to choice. And I'm not talking about the choice of the action we take, but the thoughts we think. I can think mediocre things and take mediocre action and get mediocre results. Or I can think shoot for the stars things, take shoot for the stars action and get shoot for the stars results. The choice is always ours, and we can make it again and again every minute of every day. And we can also change our minds at any time as well. When Juliana was nonverbal, I did not know what was possible. I could think, why hope? I could be setting myself up to be hurt and for failure. But I choose to think, why not hope? I, I have nothing to lose and so much to gain. If you look at two mothers or two grandmothers, two, two dads, two caretakers, one thinking one way, why hope? And one thinking another way, why not hope? If you were a betting woman or man, who would you put your money on? Why not? Also love and celebrate those small wins. Small wins compiled 
lead to big gains, but you throw some hope on top of that with some delicious thoughts like this. This is just the beginning. Or every day we are one step closer. Or my personal favorite. And every time I still think, and even though she's verbal now, I, I still think and I'm like, I can't wait to hear what her voice sounds like. It's like you throw rocket fuel on the tactical. That's why my program's not just all about tactical. It's really the heart of it is the mindset. And then the tactical, when, you, when your mind is in that space of why not hope, forget it. You can't be touched. And when I got out of my shitstorm, and when I got out of the why me's, and it's not fair, and it's not right, and I didn't sign up for this, and this is um, really full circle for this five stages of grief, because the fifth stage, the final stage of grief is acceptance, that you know what, it isn't right, it isn't fair, but it's what is. And uh, to quote Tony Robbins, he says that if you uh, believe that, then there's a sixth step to create, sixth step to grief that nobody ever talks about, and that's creation. And once I accepted that this was what we got, it's my hand. I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this. We never, you know, I'm not equipped for this. I got past all that bullshit, and I just accepted like this is what we got. And then I went to work. So I hope this was helpful. I hope I didn't ramble too much. And I will see you on the next episode. Bye, everybody. If you're ready to help your baby now with potty training, communication, or stopping their problem behaviors, I want to invite you to watch my free 10-minute video training that shows you how I took my daughter with autism from pre-verbal to sign language, potty training with a sign, to making sounds and then speaking. Head over to michellebrogers.com forward slash training. That's Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, B as in boy, Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S dot com forward slash training. See you there.